It's Tuesday, June 26th, and this is The Daily Dive. The fight over immigration and the president's policies has created a huge divide that is no longer playing out just in Washington. President Trump tweeted over the weekend that in order to end illegal immigration, people need to be stopped at the border and turned away immediately, depriving them of their due process. Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders was also subjected to the divide when she was asked to leave a Virginia restaurant simply because she defends the president's policies. Daniel Lippman from Politico joins us for the latest. Iconic American brand Harley-Davidson announced that because of tariffs imposed by the European Union, they will be shifting some of their production overseas. Erica Pandy, reporter for Axios, will join us to talk about how Harley-Davidson is handling increased costs after being caught in the tariff crossfire. Finally, marijuana hit a milestone yesterday. The FDA has approved the first CBD drug derived from the plant. Peter Loftus with The Wall Street Journal will join us to talk about who the drug helps and also about changing federal regulations to remove its Schedule 1 classification. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Joining us now is Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. The focus on immigration has not ceased. And over the weekend, the president uh, seemed to catch many by surprise. Once again, he was calling for uh, depriving immigrants uh, who cross the border illegally of their due process rights. He sounded off on Twitter. What did he say? He said that there should be no more judges hired, that people who come to the country illegally should be immediately sent back, even if they are claiming asylum. And so that got a lot of people who are advocates of law and order and just following legal practices to raise hackles and say, that Trump was going over the law and that was not good for the country to basically take away people's legal rights. Even if you're not a citizen, you do have some right not to be mistreated by the government. We're getting to see exactly how the president feels about this situation and how easy of a fix he thinks this whole thing is. But this is not anything that will ever pass. I mean, Congress won't act on this. It's unconstitutional. Other than him sounding off and just kind of expressing his feelings about the matter, this is really a non-starter. It's not going anywhere. He's kind of alone on this issue. There's going to be no chance in hell that Congress would just say, "Okay, Mr. President, we're going to let you do this unconstitutional activity Uh, because they know that eight years there will be a Democratic president potentially. And you don't want a Democratic president or a president of any party to say, let's just suspend rights for a certain class of people. The next thing up is another vote on uh, this compromise immigration bill. There's two big things holding it up. Conditions over this E-Verify proposal and then a pathway to citizenship for DACA recipients. It's been a long-standing issue, especially with the DACA provisions, because there are a lot of conservative Republicans who don't want to vote for something that protects streamers unless they have a $25 billion wall. And so that is a concern for a number of Tea Party members and, you know, members who they have bases of voters that don't want to compromise on immigration in any form whatsoever. And this fails, they might propose some type of quote unquote skinny bill, which would just address the immigrant families uh, being separated at the border. Does that have potential to go anywhere? Yeah, I think then they would have to work with Democrats 
it would be more of a bipartisan bill to try to assure that these families get reunited and that this type of stuff doesn't happen in the future. So it's not even a comprehensive immigration reform bill. It doesn't address the 12 to 14 million illegal immigrants in the country. It just deals with, you know, a small segment of immigrants. And so apparently that's that's too big for Congress to do anyway. Let's move on to the other kind of big development over the weekend. And we've seen this in increasing ways. Last week, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen was at a Mexican restaurant and she was accosted Game of Thrones style. People were yelling shame, shame at her. And then uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was in a restaurant in Virginia and she was asked to leave by the owner of the restaurant. What is going on with the lack of civility? You know, people just telling everybody to get out of here and, and public these public shamings. It's pretty remarkable, not in a good way. What happened with Sarah Sanders is that she was in Lexington, Virginia, which is a small dot of blue and a sea of red in that state, in the Commonwealth. And the waiters and the chefs discovered that she was in the house and called up the owner. The owner, uh, the co-owner rushed to the restaurant, took a vote among staff, and the staff was concerned that because Sanders defends what the staff considered you know, inhumane and unethical policies in the administration, that she should not be welcomed. Uh, it would send the wrong message. The owner had a conversation with Sanders and urged her to leave, and she did. Our story about it was called The Left Loses Its Cool. You have a number of, if you're a Trump official, it's hard for you to eat out in D.C. And it ties into a story I did last week about how young people who work in the Trump administration, they have trouble dating, they lost friends because of their boss, and it's just a, a hostile atmosphere in a city that voted only 4% for Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's so weird. Uh, by all accounts, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her party were not disruptive guests in of no. themselves. You know, they had been served, they had cheese boards in front of them, as the story goes. Yes. And it was just their presence there that people did not like. And, and I hadn't heard any word of other guests feeling that way. This was just about the staff. Then Congresswoman Maxine Waters is at a rally and she's calling for people to confront administration members in public and tell them, you know, we're not going to stand for what you guys are doing. So, yeah, and I think uh, I was talking about Michael Beschloss, a pretty famous presidential historian. He said that some of these instances, flare ups, they remind him of stuff that was happening before the Civil War. We haven't reached the end of history yet, and I don't think a war is coming. But it does feel like we're two different countries right now. You have Trump, America, and you have blue state, liberal America, which is horrified at a lot of the policies that uh, the president has been doing and, and you know worried about the consequences for America's image. What kind of blowback has Maxine Waters received for her comments? She's always made these types of comments. And so it's, it's Maxine Waters' brand. She's gotten a lot of blowback from... Republicans, even from Democrats, Nancy Pelosi tweeted it against her, saying that it was unacceptable calls for this type of behavior. And so that is significant because it, it you know, shows how Democrats, they, they want to distance themselves from people like Waters in light of the fact that they are worried that, A, it's just not right, her stand in, in their opinion, and also, B, it is not productive for the Democratic Party to win in November. Daniel Lippman, co-author of The Political Playbook, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The 
president uh, envision for uh, what the impact would be by placing tariffs on the EU and the retaliation that the EU, the EU has put on the U.S.? Uh, again, the European Union is trying to punish U.S. workers because they have engaged uh, repeatedly in unfair trade practices, and the president is saying enough is enough. We'd like to work with the EU uh, to work on a level playing field. Joining us now is Erica Pandy, reporter for Axios. Harley Davidson made an announcement yesterday saying that they're going to be moving some of the production of their iconic American motorcycles overseas in order to avoid some of these tariffs that are being imposed by the European Union. It's just an interesting scene when uh, shortly after the inauguration of President Trump, he invited Harley Davidson executives to the White House to prop them up as like a real American story. And now because of these uh, tariffs being imposed and a tit-for-tat from other countries, they're moving jobs overseas. What is going on? Harley-Davidson is one of the many American companies that uses steel and aluminum imports as an input, and then as tariffs drive up the prices of those inputs, these companies get hit. And, you know, the irony here is definitely not lost on the Europeans. They're very deliberate about the goods they choose to target. They know that steel and aluminum tariffs are hitting Harley-Davidson. They know that they're a big market for Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Something like 16 or 15 percent of Harley-Davidson sales went to the European Union last year. So they know they're a big market and they know it's an all-American, like you said, an all-American good, a symbol of Americana. So when they go after Harley-Davidson's, I think also on their list, they've got bourbon whiskey, they've got jeans. When they're going after these American products, they know the kind of sentiment that it can stir up. It really shows the potential of tariffs to backfire and hit U.S. companies. The Trump administration mentions, you know, old steel mills that are reopening and adding jobs, but at the same time, an iconic American company like Harley-Davidson said it stands to lose as much as $100 million a year as a result of this trade fight. Right now, Europe makes a, a, a is second only to the U.S. in their in their sales for these motorcycles. They're selling about almost forty thousand motorcycles to Europe every year. The European Union is specifically targeting them because they know it's going to hurt Trump the most. People say it's a tit for tat. You're charging us tariffs. We're going to charge you right back. But it seems very, like you said, very targeted to make a point to the president. It's very much politically motivated. I mean, they even doubled down on the Harley-Davidson tariffs. They, they upped it from a 6% tariff to a 31% tariff, which is so high that the cost to export a single motorcycle is going to be $2,200. And the Europeans are not alone. I mean, the Chinese are doing the same thing. One of the key goods that, have appe- what, that has appeared over and over again in their list of retaliatory tariffs is soybeans. They, they actually map this out exactly by congressional district. They know exactly where those soybeans and that, that sorghum is grown, and they know that that's going to hit the president's farm voter base. Harley-Davidson, their shares fell about 6% after they announced they're moving jobs over. Do you think this would impact them more? Even in Europe, they're buying these American motorcycles. Word is going to get around that they're not being made in America anymore, almost. I mean, it's still a very American company, but they're not being built and assembled there, do you think that would hurt them further? The company has been doing poorly last year when the president pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You know, they also uh, realized that it was going to be more expensive to ship to Asia and they moved production overseas for that reason too. So they've not seen it affect their actual branding too much yet, but it's definitely a possibility. Harley-Davidson is benefiting from the tax cuts that the president imposed. Their tax rate is going to be about 10 percentage points lower, but that savings isn't necessarily going to help workers or anything like that. It's going to their shareholders. So there's a lot of people that are going to be losing jobs. They're moving everything overseas now. 
it's a favorite company of the president. He's praised it before. Um, and, you know, the story, like you said, of, of the benefit of corporate tax cuts being offset by tariffs is a wider story, too. I mean, the stock market gain because of the corporate tax cut has been pretty much offset by the uncertainty surrounding what's going to happen with the president's global trade war. You mentioned China. What is the future of this potential trade war? Where Where is this headed towards? If it keeps escalating at this level, it really could bring down the whole global economy. I mean, every single country is involved. The supply chains are so intertwined. You've got companies like Harley-Davidson like manufacturing overseas and selling overseas. The German automaker BMW manufactures here and sells to China. So the Chinese are very powerful and equipped to fight back against American measures. And the EU is, you know, acting as one block is, is prepared to do the same. They're usually allied with us. But this last round of tariffs, the fact that the president didn't exempt them from the steel tariff definitely made the Europeans extremely angry. And they're showing right now, especially with this tick from 6% to 31% on the Harley-Davidson tariffs, that if Trump means business, then they mean business too. At what point does the president back off on tariffs and say, because you know, he's trying to fix this trade imbalance with the rest of the world. At what point is he happy? Is, is he content? The president's strategy has been put a big number or a dramatic action out there and then dial it back. We haven't seen that with tariffs yet. He's only announced bigger measures. And then he announced that he was going to restrict Chinese investment in U.S. tech companies. And then Secretary Mnuchin said that that could extend to other countries as well. Erica Pandey, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. With this FDA approval, the expectation is that a component of marijuana will most likely change in its classification by the DEA and become available and less restricted than marijuana is now. Joining us now is Peter Loftus. He covers the pharmaceutical industry for The Wall Street Journal. Marijuana has gotten a big bump in the medical industry. A drug that is derived from the marijuana plant has become the first to win federal approval. It's called Epidiolex. What does this new drug do? This new drug was approved Monday by the FDA to treat a couple of forms of epilepsy that are relatively rare, but very severe, and for which current treatments are either limited or non-existent. It helps treat Lennox-Gastaut syndrome and Dravet syndrome. Like you said, it's pretty rare, I think, uh, as a potential of treating maybe about 60,000 people. Right. But in order for this company to take the drug to market they will have to reclassify the drug from a Schedule 1 drug to something less, Schedule 2, Schedule 3. Right. So right now, marijuana is a Schedule 1 drug, which means essentially at the federal level that it's an illegal controlled substance and that it's categorized that way because it has high abuse potential and until now, no accepted medical use. And so with this FDA approval, the expectation is that a component of marijuana, which is a substance known as a cannabinoid, and in this case, it's cannabidiol, that will most likely change in its classification by the DEA and become available and less restricted than marijuana is now. It's more commonly referred to as a CBD Whereas the other half of the marijuana plant, THC, has those psychoactive elements. That's the what gets you high, basically. Exactly. And, and the FDA has made clear that this doesn't really have a lot of those euphoric elements, and it really could help a lot of these people that have these rare forms of epilepsies. 
How well was this drug performing in, in their test studies? They studied it in, I think, at least three different clinical trials. And when I say they, the, the company that is making this is GW Pharmaceuticals. They're a British company. And they studied it in, I think, over 500 patients. In one of the studies, which was in Dravet syndrome, one of the forms of epilepsy, it reduced the frequency of seizures that patients experienced to about six per month from 12 per month before these patients started taking the drugs. That's, that's so pretty about impressive. About a 50% reduction. The makers uh, and the FDA are also warning against people going crazy and trying to go get other CBD products from uh, you know marijuana retailers and things like that because those aren't tested and you're not really sure what you're getting in those. Right. So if you Google CBD oil, you'll find a ton of stuff online where companies are marketing it in various ways. And I don't, I don't want to automatically assume or give the impression that it's all illegal. But the FDA has taken the position that if anyone tries to market CBD oil with specific health claims, like this can treat your cancer or diabetes, they're going to crack down on them. And they have done that in the past already, even before approving this drug. They've sent warning letters to a lot of online retailers saying, you put patient testimonials on your website that said, CBD oil helped my cancer. And the FDA says there's no evidence of that. That kind of claim has not gone through the standard FDA process. In contrast, this GW Pharma product, Epidiolex, has gone through this standard FDA review process for prescription drugs. Currently, when I see a lot of marketing for the CBD products, it's always something like sleep aid or help you relax at night and stuff like that. Would they crack down on lesser claims such as those? I mean, they're not as grand as curing your cancer. Um, would those still it, be cracked down on? That's a good point because I think the FDA did make the point Monday and they uh, they said that it would be a case of prioritizing. And so they basically sent the message that they're more concerned about when someone makes a claim that CBD oil would help, say, cure cancer, because that's a situation where that could lead a patient to actually forego a legitimate, effective, proven treatment for cancer. I think for these claims for being a sleep aid and other things that are less serious, it sounds like the FDA might not go after them as aggressively. Yeah, I think a study at the end of last year said that about 70% of CBD products that were sold online were mislabeled. So it's something you have to be careful for. But what does this mean for marijuana in a larger sense, as far as research into new medicines derived from the plant? Well, it's certainly a milestone. And I think this is a line of research that has been percolating for many years. And at the time that GW Pharmaceuticals got into it about 20 years ago, you know, a lot of the, the major drug companies weren't going to touch something like this because marijuana was mostly illegal. And now there's been such a big shift in the legal status you know, not just in the U.S., but elsewhere. And I think there's just been a growing acceptance of the medical possibilities for marijuana. And so the FDA, when they approved this drug, the, the FDA officials, the FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, spoke very supportively of the FDA doing what it can to help researchers, you know, tease out what, what are some of the legitimate medical uses of marijuana and when the evidence supports it to actually approve products derived from that. Peter Loftus, covering the pharmaceutical industry for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. 
Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.